And hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education and politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And we have a big week and a lot to go over uh, from the past week. We're going to spend most of the podcast talking about taxes and education funding and what happened 10 years ago and how that affected your tax bill and how it affected funding in your school district. We're going to break that down and, and go into some detail about that. But first, let's get you caught up on a couple of headlines from the week. The Idaho Education Network saga took another turn late last week when the two vendors on the defunct project, Education Networks of America and CenturyLink, filed suit against the state in federal court. What the vendors are suing for is back payments, uh, payments that were cut off during the legal dispute surrounding the broadband contract. So what the lawsuits also tell you is that Attorney General Lawrence Wasden has pursued refunds, uh, repayments from the two vendors as the Supreme Court had mandated that the state do when the Supreme Court threw out the contract. So it all gets very confusing, but we now know that the Attorney General is seeking, um, seeking money back from the vendors. The vendors are protesting that. We also know that any attempt at trying to settle this out of court has gone by the wayside. Right. The legislature set aside some money at the very end of the most recent session, but you've taken a close look at this. you followed the legal wrangling. We may Talk, have... Talks broke down. Yeah. And, and I, I, how that chronology all comes together, whether, uh, you know, that that's probably open to debate, but there's no question that the, the talks broke down, the uh, settlements, uh, settlement discussions are, are defunct looks like the next chapter of this long saga is going to play out in a federal court. Yeah, and you'll, you'll continue to stay on top of that. But can we also had a little bit of election news uh, over the last several days pertaining to not the 2016 election, 2018. Uh, what, what did we learn? Right, the governor's race got a little bit more crowded on the Republican side. Russ Fulcher, the former state senator from Meridian, ran for governor in 2014, was runner-up to, uh, to Governor Butch Otter in the Republican primary. He's running again. So we know already that we have uh, Fulcher and Lieutenant Governor Brad Little already in the Republican primary for governor. Don't know if we'll see more candidates. We'll, we'll wait and see, but th- that's already shaping up to be a primary that may pit uh, conservative interests against more uh, more business-oriented establishment Republican interests. So We're kind of juggling two different elections uh, right now, so that's kind of interesting to see that come together in that way. I also wanted to point out, over the last year or so, we've really tried to ramp up our multimedia offerings at Idaho Ed News. Kevin, you and I were talking about this in the intro, but my favorite multimedia report, my favorite video report uh, that Andrew Reid has ever done, uh, just came out uh, Mm -hmm. this week. It's a video following a complete day in the life of a little first grader heading back to school on the first day of school. Uh, Trip Grinky was such a brave little guy, and Andrew was there to follow him from the morning when he woke up and brushed his teeth all the way through his first day at North Star. Everyone's been kind of talking about that video this week. It's probably been our most watched video ever, but if you haven't seen it and you want to see kind of this heartwarming story, head over to Idaho Ed News and click under the Features tab, and it'll be, uh, I think, the first yeah, one it's that a, pops It's a great feature. If you've ever sent a kid to school, you know all of the emotions that, that are captured in this video, and it's just, it's a, it's a great piece of, of 
of, of capturing a slice of life, a moment in life, one of those milestones, and, and just, just really good stuff. And if you're just joining us on Facebook Live for the broadcast, we do have a couple of tickets to give away to next week's Boise Hawks games. It's next Wednesday, the 31st, here in Boise. If you live in the Treasure Valley or if you're going to be in the area and you want tickets, um, ask us a question about the tax shift, the tax overhaul story. We're going to start talking about it here in a minute, but let us know where you're watching from this morning on Facebook Live and ask a question about the tax overhaul yeah. story, and we'll hook you up with a pair of tickets to next Wednesday night's game. But but I, I think that, that that gets us out of the way of some of the main headlines. Certainly check IdahoEdNews.org to get caught up on all the week's news. But Kevin... You unveiled a major multi-part project this week that you had really been working on all summer, and it pertains to uh, the 2006 tax overhaul. So I guess, do you want to start there and let yeah. people know, what is the 2006 tax overhaul, how does it relate to education, and what changed? Okay. Well, let's take one question off of the table. Sure. Why did I do this? Why, why did I want to take such a close look at something that happened 10 years ago? If you talk to anybody in education, or really if you talk to anybody in politics too, they will point back to August 2006 and the special session and this tax vote as a really a seminal moment, a really uh, a game-changing moment. Game-changing is such a cliche, but it really is uh, applicable here. It's really changed the way we pay for education in the state. Uh, you moved almost uh, you moved 260 million dollars off of the property tax, and you moved most of that back onto the sales tax. And the question has always persisted about whether that has caused harm to schools, whether it has cost schools money, whether it has uh, been a tax break for, for Idahoans, a tax shift, just moving from one tax to another, or has it been a tax increase? So I really wanted to dive into the numbers and, and put all of these theories to the test where it will answer some questions about what it meant for taxpayers and what it meant for schools. And you have the benefit of coming in 10 years later, but you were able to talk <coughs> with a number of folks that were involved in debating and, and passing uh, that bill and kind of getting their perspective then and now. But what were, what were some of the things that you learned after really diving in? First of all, how was this pitched? How was this justified originally? And then what were some of the things that mm -hmm. you learned diving into the numbers? I think you really do have to look at it in context. In all fairness, in 2005-2006, property taxes were going, were increasing rapidly. Property values were increasing rapidly, and Idahoans were really upset about it. Property tax has always been an unpopular tax in Idaho for a lot of reasons. But as the property tax rates were rising all across the state, that unrest was really palpable. I mean, I was here 10 years ago. Um, I was covering the issue from, from a from a different perspective, I was an editorial writer at the, the Idaho Statesman at the time, but um, you knew that people were really upset about property taxes. And the regular session, the 2006 regular legislative session, came and went with no action on property taxes. Dirk Kempthorne, that was his last year as governor, his last session as governor, right. took no action on the issue, proposed no reforms on property taxes. That angered some legislators as well as angered property owners who felt like they were getting you know, no help from the state. So enter Jim Risch. Jim Risch is appointed governor in May of 2006 when uh, Kemp Thorne is appointed interior secretary. So then Governor Risch has seven months on the job and decides that one of his priorities in that short time that he's going to be governor 
is to do something to address the property tax issue. So he orchestrated the special session. He put the bill together. He cobbled together the votes so that he knew that when they held the special session, he had plenty of votes in hand to pass this thing. Yeah, and um, it was interesting. I love the lead to one of your stories. You said Jim Risch was a governor in a hurry because he didn't have a full term. Like you said, he was appointed uh, to fill out uh, then-Governor Kim Thorne's term after he received that appointment. So it was just a, an interesting dynamic. It was a special session. Uh, he was a short-time governor, and I think he knew that, and he wanted uh, to get something done. But those were kind of the politics of, of the moment, right? Right, and and that, you know, definitely uh, Jim Risch wanted to check this issue off in his time as governor, and he had legislators who had to go back home and wanted to be able to run in 2006 saying, look, we did something about property taxes. So the question that I kind of went back to when I started looking at the numbers is, well, what did we exactly do in terms of property tax relief? What did this mean for property owners? What did it mean for taxpayers? So, this is where the story gets fun. Yeah, huh. this is where the story gets fun, but also gets complicated. I'll, I'll try not to bog you down too much in numbers because you can find all the numbers uh, in the stories at idahoednews.org. So, we know that property taxes are lower than they were 10 years ago. There's no question about that. That can't be disputed. We also know that the, the property tax break that went into effect in 2006, about the $260 million property tax break, has been whittled away. And it's been whittled away by voters, you know, by, by voters approving supplemental levies at the local level, either new supplemental levies, districts that never had them in the first place, or districts that have added on to their supplemental levies that are asking for larger supplemental levies. So the supplemental levy bill is up about $100 million from where it was 10 years ago. So that cuts into what your property tax relief is. And the sales tax changed, um, did it not, Kevin, as part of the shift? That was something we knew going in because that was part of the deal. Yeah. You know, Jim Rich said, okay, we'll cut the property taxes, we'll raise the sales tax a penny to make up most of the difference. So you know, and you have to factor in, that you're paying a sixth cent of sales tax that wasn't in effect in August of 2006. So when we do all the math, and we walk you through the math so you can see how we got there, we figured that Idahoans are paying about $21.7 million more for K-12 than they did 10 years ago. When you factor in the supplemental levies, when you factor in the sales tax against the property tax relief that remains on the books. So it's not a tax decrease. It's a shift in some communities, but by and large, for most communities, it's a tax increase. And you've had a chance to talk with some of the key players um, involved, Kevin. You talked with now Senator Risch uh, about that a, a little bit. Uh, what, what, did, what did Senator Risch have to say with the benefit of hindsight, looking back 10 years later, and then uh, looking at your reporting? I think he is as adamant as ever that something had to be done and that property tax relief was, was something voters were demanding. He'll go back and point to the advisory ballot that was held that November, where 72% of voters approved the advisory ballot and said that they, they approved of the uh, of the tax shift. 
Now, there's always been quibbling about that advisory ballot, about the language of the advisory ballot. Was it accurate? Was it, uh, was it leading language? But he'll point to that and he'll say, you know, people wanted it. And if people don't want it, they can always repeal it. But I don't think that's ever going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, the thing that I like about this is you broke the story down in chunks. You started on, on Tuesday. Uh, you kind of led into it with a blog entry. Um, but talk about how you broke the story up and what some of the what, what people might find if they go to Idaho Ed News. Uh, because it is a complicated story, but it's all there. Uh, you lay out the numbers and walk people through the math. But how did you break it up and, and what can people find uh, if they head to IdahoEdNews.org and look it up? The thing that I really tried to do with this is knowing that there are a lot of numbers and knowing that we were going to kind of take readers through a math problem was that I also wanted to take readers through kind of the the human and political story. Sure. So the second day of the series, which was a lot of fun to write, i got to say, was a chance to talk to some of the players on both sides of the issues and just kind of get their stories, just kind of get their... Um, their recollection of how it how it went down ten years ago and how they feel about the change in tax policy a decade out. What I found, I mean, most people are kind of where they were ten years ago. I didn't find really anybody who completely had changed their minds. The closest I found, Chuck Winder, who's now a state senator, who's now uh, co-chairing this uh, committee looking at the school funding formula. He was in real estate 10 years ago. He wasn't in the Senate yet. And at the time, he wasn't really sold about the way this was being put together. He understood the reasons. Sure. And he understood the sincerity of folks who wanted to do something. He just wasn't sure about this mechanism. I think at this point, he's he's at a point where he wants to make sure that there's a funding formula, a, a funding source for schools that is stable. And he believes that stability can be achieved even with, uh, with this law in place and with less uh, more dependence on the sales tax and less dependence on the uh, property tax. But as I talk to folks, you know, people who supported it still do, by and large. People who opposed it still oppose it and feel like the past decade has proven their point. So folks are fairly well dug in. And I kind of expected that to some degree, but... It was also interesting to kind of get a sense of why they're still where they are, what did they learn along the way, and you know, in a lot of cases, what they learned along the way was stuff that they felt kind of validated where they were 10 years ago. Yeah, it, it really does. Can I tell you about my favorite, one of my favorite parts uh, of the series of the project? Um, it, it actually allows a reader to go in and click based on what school district they live in. So whether they live in, in Aberdeen or, or, or Boise or Basin or wherever, you can go in and you can click a button on your graph and you can find out what your property tax levy that you were paying in 2006 was versus what it is in 2016. You can look at your market value for 2006 versus what it is now today 10 years later. And, and there's some graphs and charts in there, uh, you can look at the overall school tax rates for then and now, and, and that's probably my favorite part of the story. We worked with um, our IT guy, uh, John Sisk, uh, on this, but it, it really brings it home. So if you're wondering, okay, I, I get the politics of it, I, I get that it's still uh, divisive, that people still kind of feel the way they did 10 years ago, what does this mean to me? We really let you jump in based on your neighborhood, based on your school district, and say, okay, uh, remove the politics from the equation. Here's what I was paying 10 years ago. 
here's what I'm paying now, here's where the valuation is at. Uh, and so it, it really kind of, if there was any emotion or politics involved in it, it kind of removes that from the equation. And you can just take a, a look at how did this affect um, my family and I, or, or my neighbors and I, right? Right. And, and one of the things I liked about trying to do the tables was I wanted people to be able to to look at this in their own neighborhoods and be able to see what happened in their own school districts because the results vary so widely. There are a lot of districts, you'll look at those tax levies, and they, they plummeted. I mean, you know, if you wanted property tax relief and you live in some of these districts, well, you certainly <laughs> you, you, you see that you're paying less in property taxes for schools. But there are other districts where you're actually paying more in property taxes and property tax levies for schools than you did 10 years ago. And you point that out, and it's easy to find where Right, and are. you can find them, and, you know, what, that hap- what happened in most of those districts is the voters decided that they wanted to pass a supplemental levy that actually turned out to be higher than what they were paying in the first place. So voters decided, yes, we'll pay the supplemental levy, we'll support the uh, supplemental levy. And at the same time, you got to remember, the folks in those districts are paying the sixth cent of sales tax that they weren't paying 10 years ago. So you can really kind of play around with the numbers and, and try to get a sense of what it meant in, in your school district. Sure. And, and before we wrap up on this topic, was there anything that really caught your attention or anything that surprised you? I know you were covering this uh, as an editorial writer uh, 10 years ago. Um, it, you knew the issue at the time. Uh, you you continued to cover education and, and, and tax policy over that time. Was there anything that surprised you or what was your biggest takeaway this week with your reporting? One of the things I thought was really interesting was listening to folks who supported this move and asking them, well, look at the numbers. Now, you know, voters did approve a bunch of supplemental levies during the recession, during hard times. They they taxed themselves to pay for schools. Um, In spite of all of this angst about property taxes, people did that. How, How do you reconcile those votes with what you're saying about people really demanding property tax relief? What I heard from folks who supported the tax shift in 2006 and still support the tax shift was that it was a necessary step, that what it did was it took some of the pressure off the property tax owners so that they were able to then turn around and approve these supplemental levies. What you've got, and it's really interesting, and it really kind of came to light for me, is a pretty fundamental debate about the role of the supplemental levy in paying for schools and the role of local elections in paying for schools. Um, legislators who supported House Bill 1, the, the, the tax shift of 2006, and still support it, folks like Sean Keough, uh, Lieutenant Governor Little, who was in the Senate at the yep. time, will say, well, this is this is fine. You, you're, you're allowing and enabling and empowering voters to decide how much do they want to support their local schools? How much money are they willing to pay for schools? What's wrong with that? Um, The flip side was talking to uh, Wendy Johnson, the uh, superintendent in the CUNA school district. CUNA is one of those districts, one of those 40-some districts that added a supplemental levy between 2006 and today. So I wanted to kind of get her story and her district's story. And it's an interesting one because they, they raised the supplemental levy. They're dropping it because they feel like they're going to have building needs that are going to have to address uh, through property taxes. But her point of view about the supplemental is that it really changed her job as superintendent. She had to go from 
you know, having time to focus exclusively on things like student achievement. Well, some of that time went away because she had to spend some of that time thinking about how to promote and how to package and how to present the next uh, supplemental levy proposal. So very interesting takes on both sides of that. Yeah, it's been a fantastic series. I would encourage everyone listening today to head over to IdahoEdNews.org and check it out. There's several articles, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. You published pieces on it. If you're interested in the key players, if you're interested in how it affected your pocketbook and your tax bill, how it affected education funding, there's a lot to dissect, a lot more than we could ever cover um, on our podcast today. So check it out. I, I've been lucky enough to work with you and, and to edit your stories uh, for the three and a half years that we've been in existence, and I think it is your strongest work, and, and you went super deep, and it's an important issue, and we don't always get a chance to circle back with the benefit of hindsight and add everything up and, and see what impact did this really make, and I think that's where this project moves the needle, so be sure and check that out. Um, but we're not... It's not like we're taking next week no. off. Next week onward. Is be next busy. week is a big, big one. What are what are some of the things go, real quick going on uh, next week that are on your radar, Kevin? So watch News, uh, dot org next week because we will have the uh, the school funding committee is meeting in Boise on Tuesday. We'll have full coverage of that. Um, we will have uh, some supplemental levies and uh, a plant facilities levy going on up north. We will have those elections on Tuesday. Results on Wednesday. We'll have the latest on the Boise School Board elections. We'll look at some sunshine reports there. So it's a, it's a busy week. Yeah, we're, uh, it, it's going to be a busy week. And uh, I, I do want to note we do uh, have a couple of contests going on that we want to hook our viewers and our listeners up with some prizes. If you want to win a $100 gift card, send us your uh, first day of school photos. Tag us at Idaho Ed News on Twitter or the Facebook page for Idaho Education News. That's open until September 8th. The rules are on our social media channel, uh, but we're looking forward to giving $100 away. We also still have a couple of tickets to next Wednesday's Boise Hawks game on August 31st. If you're going to be in the Treasure Valley, if you're going to be in Boise and want to go to that game, um, let's just have folks comment mm -hmm. um, sure. at the bottom of our Facebook Live uh, post or our podcast post on Facebook about where they listen to extra credit uh, and what they heard this week if you want a pair of tickets to next Wednesday's Boise Hawks game. Obviously continue to watch IdahoEdNews.org all throughout the week uh, and the beginning of this school year for the latest in education news and connect with us on social media. Kevin, you'll be staying busy in the field as will I. Uh, but as usual, thanks so much for listening to Extra Credit and tuning in this time on Facebook Live. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week. <laughs>